Hello and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Even 50 years ago, when Marcus Welby, MD, was a popular TV show, house calls by a family practitioner, as depicted in the show, were mostly a romantic memory. For many, many decades, what we now call home visits have made up just a tiny fraction of medical visits. But home visits never disappeared entirely, and they have real potential benefits for patient care, particularly with an aging population that faces increasing mobility challenges. How much medical care is delivered in the home to Medicare enrollees, and how does that care differ between people enrolled in Medicare Advantage and those enrolled in traditional Medicare? That's the topic of today's episode of A Health Policy. I'm here with Jeff Marr, a doctoral student in the Department of Health Policy and Management at Johns Hopkins University. Mr. Marr and co-authors published a data watch in the September 2023 issue of Health Affairs, looking at patterns of home-based medical care utilization among Medicare enrollees. Using data from 2018, they found big differences when they were looking at people enrolled in traditional Medicare than when they were looking at people enrolled in Medicare Advantage. We'll discuss these findings and what to make of them in today's episode. Mr. Marr, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. So I love this paper. We don't usually talk about data watch in uh, health policy because it's uh, we're looking for sort of policy, not just data. But here's some data that really pop out. We need to set the stage, though, before we get into the numbers. Um, I said just a tiny bit about home-based medical care and not to be confused with uh, other kinds of assistance people can get in the home. Can you just say a little bit for our listeners about the role home-based medical care plays for patients in general, but particularly for Medicare enrollees, which is the population you studied? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think you're totally right that if we think about you know medical care a hundred years ago, um, we think of it being delivered primarily in the home. And right over time, this has evolved so that um, you know really most care takes place in the office-based setting. As you sort of said, there's a movement, particularly among, I think, geriatricians and other clinicians that care for older adults to try to do more care inside the home. Um, And, you know, I think for, you know, a lot of older adults, there are, you know, people who are homebound or people who have difficulty leaving their homes. And so an office-based visit can present sort of a uh, access barrier. And, uh, you know, so the idea of home-based medical care is to sort of meet people where they are um, and make it easier for uh, you know, people to access the care they need, particularly when they have sort of functional limitations, um, you know, where they need, you know, assistance with walking or mobility issues, uh, and they have lots of sort of chronic uh, conditions that are sort of complex to manage. Um, and so, you know, as you said, you know, Medicare Advantage is playing an increasing role in Medicare, as I'm sure you know. Uh, in 2023, a majority of Medicare beneficiaries are enrolled in Medicare Advantage. Uh, and so we sought to sort of look at uh, the differences in, in the use of home-based care in, uh, in Medicare Advantage and traditional Medicare. And before we look at the differences, it is, though, the case that the number of home visits, or I should say home-based medical care, the term you use in the paper, they're still quite low, right? So we can all talk about, wow, it would be so great, but there, there isn't much of it, is there? Absolutely. These are visits by a physician, physician's assistant, uh, or nurse practitioner that are going to be delivered in the home. And there's been past research sort of characterizing the uh, 
uh, you know, population that's homebound or is difficulty leaving home. And what that's really shown is that only a very small proportion of those people receive this, this type of care. Um, and so, you know, uh, trying to understand why that is and trying to understand, um, you know, if there are possibilities for uh, expanding access to that care is, is I think, a, you know, a key task. Yeah, so um, we're looking here, and you're looking in your study at uh, patterns of care. And I think the reason I sort of started where I did is, as a general matter, from the patient perspective, you'd probably think if we can do more of this, it's probably better for the patients, at least for a segment of the population, given how little we're doing now. In your study, you differentiated between longitudinal care and single visits um, just so that our listeners can interpret the results appropriately, uh, tell us what you mean by those terms and, and why they are different. We sort of make this distinction between this sort of longitudinal care model, which is usually what we think about um, for people who um, you know, are homebound, have difficulty leaving home, and have lots of complex medical conditions, right? This needs to be an ongoing relationship with their you know, an in-home provider that's going to happen um, several times over the course of the year, right, to be able to manage whatever is going on, right? And so there are studies, you know, sort of showing that this care model can, in some cases, reduce hospitalizations and improve patient quality of life. Uh, and all of those studies have really been focused on this longitudinal care model. Um, but there's, you know, there's sort of, as, as you said, there's a lot of things that can happen uh, in, you know, in terms of care in the home. And so a distinct type of care is this idea of like an in-home assessment. And um, this can be very useful, you know, from a, you know, clinical perspective, because there are things that you can observe in an office-based visit that you can observe at home, right? So you can screen for fall risks. You can screen for, you know, what's, you know, any safety concerns in the patient's home that you wouldn't be able to get at if, you know, just in a 30-minute conversation in, in an office. Um, and, so those are really the two types of visits that we're going to distinguish from uh, each other. And sort of our headline finding is that uh, in Medicare Advantage, the rates of longitudinal care use are considerably lower uh, than in traditional Medicare, or I say you know, somewhat lower. Uh, but the rates of one-time visits, likely for assessment purposes, are substantially higher in Medicare Advantage, you know, around 30 times higher. Okay, so that's sort of the 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 blockbuster finding, if you will. Uh, let me just back up a tiny bit before we go forward. Um, so what you're describing, as I understand it, is is really two potentially fairly different uh, ways that a patient can benefit from care in the home. The single visit, as you say, is a, can be very valuable, provide important context, help design a care plan that's appropriate for the patient. Um, it's not just sort of overcoming the access barrier of coming into the office. It's also seeing the patient where they live and giving you insights that you might not otherwise have. Uh, whereas the longitudinal model is, as you say, it's sort of a replacement for, oh, you know, come and see me every three months to check in on your such and such chronic condition. Uh, now I'm going to come out and see you instead of you coming to see me. But the care delivered is is longitudinal. It's not just an assessment. It's, it's trying to uh, maintain someone's health and prevent deterioration and the like. And you see much more of the longitudinal and traditional and much more of the single in Medicare Advantage. And 
you mentioned the ratio, but maybe it would help if you also just said the numbers, if you have them handy, because again, we started by talking about how rare all of this is. So when you say, you know, multiple times, like people to have a sense of what that is. Absolutely. And yeah, I think your, your summary of the differences between these two types of visits is exactly right. So uh, the rate of longitudinal home-based medical care in traditional Medicare is about 2.1% of beneficiaries have multiple visits during the year. And in Medicare Advantage, that rate is 1.6%. Um, for this exactly one visit, uh, the rate in traditional Medicare is 0.6% of Medicare beneficiaries. So this is something that is extremely rare. Uh, and in Medicare Advantage, that rate is 18.6%. Uh, so that's pretty common. That's you know almost one in five. Uh, Medicare Advantage beneficiaries have you know exactly one visit in their home during the course of 2018. Yeah, so that's I'm glad you said the numbers. It's the reason I asked. So you you actually have a, a very substantial presence of these single visits for people in MA, um, and you just don't have a whole lot of of longitudinal in either program, but it's, it's, uh, it's more notable in, in the traditional Medicare program. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about why this might be the case. Some of this may have to do with the differences between the patients in the programs, the enrollees in the programs. We know that, as you say, MA has been growing, but not uh, the composition of the programs isn't the same. And then maybe a little bit about why we're seeing these patterns. We'll talk about those topics after we take a short break. And we're back. I'm speaking with Jeff Marr about patterns in home-based medical care use among Medicare enrollees, particularly the difference between people who are enrolled in Medicare Advantage plans and those who are in traditional Medicare. So before the break, we sort of heard the top-line story, which is that the patterns are very, very different between the two programs. Now, there's a lot of discussion about who enrolls in MA and concerns about favorable risk selection. So you've got healthier folks, so maybe they don't need as much care, or maybe they're less likely to need longitudinal care. What did you find when you looked at patient characteristics uh, between these two programs? Yes, I think that's that's exactly right, right? There's there's definitely concerns that there's selection, uh, you know, into MA. Um, you know, uh, and so that it definitely may be the case that there's you know, maybe slightly less need in, in, in Medicare Advantage for the longitudinal. Um, you know, one thing we do in, in, in a, an appendix exhibit of, in the paper is to adjust for some covariates. Uh, but I think that there's absolutely still, you know, unobserved differences between traditional Medicare and Medicare Advantage patients that we should you know, definitely consider. Within Medicare Advantage, though, there are key differences between the uh, patient populations that are getting the longitudinal-based care uh, and the uh, one-time visits, right? And so what we find is we looked at, you know, various different measures of sort of uh, clinical risk, right? So we looked at like age, uh, different measures of hospitalizations and uh, chronic conditions. And we find that across all of those that the patients who get the longitudinal care are you know, older, they have, you know, more likely to be hospitalized, they have more chronic conditions, they're more likely to have Alzheimer's and dementia. What we really think is that these are very distinct types of services serving 
two very you know, different types of groups within MA. And so that makes sense, right? You want longitudinal care for people who need longitudinal care, and you would expect those who need longitudinal care to have more uh, health needs. And so that's what you're observing. And so that's that sort of fits the story. The puzzle then goes back to these single visits and that uh, uh, ratio of how frequent they are in MA versus uh, traditional Medicare. So tell me what are we actually earlier already discussed some of the potential advantages to the patient in terms of getting uh, having assessments for risk and and just a sense of what kind of support they might have at their home? Um, are there any other benefits for a single visit that we haven't raised? And are there any benefits to the plan for uh, having this single visit? Yeah. So I think from the patient's perspective, I think it's a lot of upside. Right? It's uh, you know an additional visit with a provider in their home. And that's going to, you know, that can be helpful in terms of, you know, as I said before, screening for things like fall risk or, you know, seeing what's going on in their home, connecting them to other resources that the, you know, are available through the, the plan. This really has to do with potentially with the uh, incentives that Medicare Advantage plans face in terms of how they're paid. And so it's worth discussing a little bit how that actually works. So, Medicare Advantage plans are paid on a risk-adjusted capitated basis, right? And so the idea here is that, you know, essentially Medicare gives uh, Medicare Advantage plans, you know, you know, bump sum payment and they're expected to uh, provide for, you know, their qualified medical expenses using that money. But the you know, obvious problem would be is that we don't want to pay the same amount for patients with different levels of risk. And right, so we don't want to, it's very important that we give an Medicare Advantage plan more money t- to take care of an 85-year-old with heart failure than we do for a 65-year-old who has, you know, limited health issues, right? And that's very important to prevent sort of the market from unraveling uh, and preventing sort of serious adverse selection problems. Um, that said, this sort of idea is based on, you know, basically what Medicare does is they look at okay, if you had these sets of diagnosis in traditional Medicare, how much would you, you, know, you spend in a given year, right? And they sort of use that to base Medicare Advantage pay- payments. And so the sort of baseline assumption underlying that idea is that someone who has a given condition in Medicare Advantage is the same as someone who has that same condition in traditional Medicare. And there's been a longstanding concern about the coding intensity in Medicare Advantage. And so these plans have an incentive to make sure that all accurate diagnoses are recorded and in the medical record. This sort of brings us back to these one-time visits. Um, There is a, I think, pretty well-founded concern that these plans are using these visits to document diagnoses that are not appearing in the medical record, right? So if I'm a plan and I know from a couple years back that you have um, high blood pressure, but there's no diagnosis in your, you know, medical record that you have high blood pressure. One way of doing that is to send, uh, you know, someone to your house, check your high blood pressure, and record that diagnosis. That's potentially problematic because it 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 sort of breaks the idea that the coding intensity should be the same in traditional Medicare and Medicare Advantage. And you know, to really highlight this point, there was a report by the Office of the Inspector General in HHS that. Um, showed that these visits are used to record these additional diagnoses to the tune of several billion dollars a year. Um, 
in additional payments to MA plans. And so I think that um, you know, that's a key part of what's going on here. And so we have to balance both the potential benefits to patients uh, and sort of the um, unintended consequences of using these visits for uh, coding issues. Well, that last thing is what, exactly what was going through my mind as I was listening to you. So on the one hand, uh, we can tell a very positive story. It's great to have this visit out in the home, someone who might not otherwise come in. We can find out what's going on with them, better manage their care. After all, these are capitated plans. They have an incentive to keep people healthy. That's part of the the mechanics here. And uh, a great way to do that is to know what people's conditions are and get ahead of the curve. At the same time, you can also make some money by coding uh, more aggressively, or some might say more accurately. It depends kind of where you sit on this one, but but certainly more actively than there is no one, let's put it this way, there's no one in traditional Medicare who has either of those incentives. There's no clinician who has any financial incentive to keep you healthy, and there's no health plan that has any financial incentive to document what uh, might be going on with you that could lead to a higher uh, risk payment. So, I guess as we uh, finish up what we can do with the data here, which is tell, I think, a quite interesting story, the, the, the gap in rates between the two parts of the Medicare program is, 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 uh, pop, makes my eyes pop. But then I want to ask, so how do we figure it out? Like, how do we take the fact that the rates of single visits differ and understand that they're sort of both a positive story you could tell and a negative story. And how do we try to figure out which is true or maybe both are true? I realize I'm asking you to go beyond the boundaries of the paper and maybe it's unfair, but it does seem to me that you've, you've unearthed something so interesting, we've, but, but something that is hard to interpret. And so we ought to finish our conversation by asking, how do we get the next layer down to figure out a maybe a little bit with a little more precision what's going on. Yeah, no, I think I think that's exactly right. And and you know, there's this trade-off between, hey, this may be, you know, at least modestly good for the patients who are getting it, right? There, there are definitely certain positives, but from sort of a larger policy perspective, are those visits worth the additional money that are, you know, we're going to end up paying the plans? And I think that's a, a really hard question. And, you know, I think one area for future research is to try to understand, um, you know, what the effect of these visits is on, you know, people's outcomes down the line. There are, there are some sort of policy efforts aimed at sort of targeting the coding issue in particular, right? So there's a, there's a bipartisan bill um, introduced by a couple of senators that has very cleverly called the UpCode Act. And one of the things that it does is remove diagnosis codes that are just from sort of these health risk assessments uh, from the Medicare Advantage algorithm, uh, you know, risk adjustment algorithm. And so when you think about doing something like that, there's, I think you're totally right about this question of like, well, does the value to patients meet sort of the, the sort of broad, you know, how does that trade off against the, the cost to, you know, uh, the federal government of, of, of higher payments. And I think that's, that's, you know, a really important question. I'm not sure there's a, there's an easy answer. No, I'm sure there isn't. Well, look, one of the roles we like to play here at health affairs is to publish interesting findings that leave, uh, of course, still questions unanswered. And I'm confident that as people look at this, uh, they will, some will just stick it inside their partisan or 
I don't mean that in a, a party sense, but they're 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 uh, they'll, they'll stick it in their hat as a more evidence of the position that they already held about the merits or demerits of Medicare Advantage. But I think the research community will find this very interesting and try to come up with clever ways to answer that last question. And as with most trade-offs, there won't be an answer, but maybe there will be a little bit more evidence that we can bring to bear to figure out what's really going on. And I like the way you frame it. Let's figure out if there are health benefits to these. Uh, if there are, that's going to give us a very different sense of whether it's worth it than if it if there aren't. Uh, that, would, that would also tell an interesting story. So I look forward to where we can go with this. Well, Mr. Marr, thanks so much for doing this work, which I, as I've said multiple times, I think is really fascinating uh, for talking it through with me and helping our listeners understand what's at stake. Uh, thanks for being my guest today on Health Policy. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about the Health Policy.